everyone, this is Dr. Liz, and you're listening to Include with Dr. Liz. This show is about everyone, all people, including you. It's about people and their diverse lived experience in this world. I chat with guests to get to know them, their identities and their inclusion needs. So we all have an opportunity to understand how best to include them. So together, we can create a world where everyone thrives. Seth is an all or nothing kind of guy who can be found either hiking or relaxing on his weekends. Described by others as kind, patient, generous and inspirational, he claims his greatest accomplishment is surviving to 44. Hmm. Identifying as LGBTQI+, and a gender minority and a cultural minority and diagnosed with a learning disability at just eight years old, Seth is an intuitive business coach, medium and healer with three international bestsellers. Welcome, Seth. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I don't know who's more excited, you or me. (laughs) (laughs) Now I want to know, your greatest accomplishment is surviving to 44? What? Yeah, it's been a life. It's been a a crazy, crazy life. I mean, (laughs) you know, surviving so many deaths in my life, surviving two kidnappings, surviving cancer. I mean, it's been... It's been quite the, I mean, I am so grateful to be here. Goosebumps, right? But I'm so grateful to be here. Like, you know, like I continue to tell myself in my affirmations every day that the present is the gift. Mm. Like, so being here now is such a gift. And it's so hard to remember that all the time. Um, But that's why I say my biggest accomplishment is getting here. Okay. Well, it would be remiss of me not to say kidnappings what someone's gonna go if she doesn't ask him about kidnappings (laughs) and breaking up with her um well i say kidnapping is because i was it's held at gunpoint by two different cartels in two different countries so once when i was 18 in in um, colombia outside of bogota and uh the other one was in mexico um about 11 12 years ago um so and that was held at gunpoint they wanted to take the car and i somehow saved myself in the car then the next month they did take the car, like they stole the car. So, um, yeah, but I was, okay. it, yeah. If, if people yes. aren't watching the video podcast of this and are just listening, I, I'm gobsmacked. Like my- <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> any PTSD after that? Like how did that affect oh, yeah. you? Well, you know, I think I just kind of wrote it off as like, oh, it's just a normal day you know, um, for a couple, for like two or three months. And then when the car was taken and my bodyguard was kidnapped and beaten with two within a pulp of his, of his life or a minute of his life, that's when it became real that, wow, that could have been me. And I'm so happy that I had like a kidnapping light situation or like a, just being held at gunpoint with six guns at my head situation is not, and they didn't beat me up. And so I just, I just became really fortunate, but it took years. I didn't tell my parents for a couple of years. Um, I definitely left that job after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I loved the job to be honest. It was amazing. Um, yeah, it, it was even when I talk about it now and I tell the whole story, like, I feel like I need to have a martini in my hand, <laughs> you know, because it's we, still, we should have been recording this podcast, not at 11 a.m. <laughs> maybe 11 <laughs> p.m. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's, there was a lot, uh, to work through on that. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm just so grateful to be alive. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're talking about inclusion today and <laughs> clearly this is part of your lived experience, but you did complete a questionnaire that every guest does and you ticked yeah. six identities for a really long list. What were they for you? <laughs> so I know I clicked that I was a cis male because okay. that's how I identify. I present as a, a white male, which is terrible to me. Like it just makes me feel gross. Um, but I actually, I consider myself to be bi gender. Um, I am definitely, I, I have a husband. Mm-hmm. So that means therefore that I lean mostly towards gay. Um, I am, uh, and then I'm Jewish. So from an ethnic and cultural standpoint, the only time I denied my Judaism was when I was in Egypt um, for a couple of days. I for safety reasons. Safety, yeah, for safety <laughs> reasons, right? And then I was, I, I leaned into the Italian part of my, like my, the other half of Italian. Okay. Um, yeah. So those are my entities. Okay. Um, <laughs> where do I go from here? <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere you want. <laughs> um, let's try to help people understand about gender identity and okay. how you were saying that you present as white male. Um, and then you were saying sort of more about your fluidity, was it? Or what is yeah. it around that gender identity? Can you help people understand that? I've done a lot of research on this because I've spent a lot of years in human resources. So I am always about, I hate the boxes, right? But I get so upset when payroll companies are like male, female, other. I just think that's gross and they're getting better. Um, but for me, I researched two-spirit or bi-gender. So essentially, and I've spoken about this with all my gay friends, I feel like a woman trapped. I don't know what color I am, but um, sometimes it changes, right? Like sometimes I'm a Latina woman. Sometimes I'm a black woman. Sometimes I'm a Jewish woman. I just feel very much like I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. And I've spoken to many of my gay friends about that. And, you know, they may joke about it, be like, oh, yeah, that's my inner Aretha Franklin or whatever. But I actually really feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I love wearing dresses, like, and not in a way of like, drag i mean i love doing drag but that's what it's now labeled but i love dresses and i love just being in dresses there's something that comes out in me that's more feminine um so i can sometimes i feel more female than male and sometimes Mm -hmm. i feel much more male than female that at the same time i'm sure we can be pretty open like i love my penis um you know, it's, I love it. Um, and I love boobs. So <laughs> I'm sorry, that's probably rude. Uh, I love not. breasts. Okay. <laughs> no, it helps people. Like it's, no, it's real. Okay. Please, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So all of that together, I think the closest thing I ever found was two spirited because I feel like, or all spirited, because I just feel like okay. I, I have both spirits within me. Um, okay. And so good because you can imagine, so someone's new to learning about gender identity and gender expression, they'll be like, but doesn't that mean he's trans? But you've explained Mm. it's not trans because you're not one or the other. Right. And I don't want to be a woman. I mean, for the clothes, I would love to be a woman, but that's, you know, but I I make do being a man. And then, of course, so we can kind of sort of talk about that gender expression thing. So, you know, from the inside, we get to express some of that femininity that you feel on the inside by wearing a gorgeous dress. Absolutely. I have a Marilyn Monroe dress. I have (laughs) have what I call as my fuck me boots that I wear. (laughs) They're beautiful. I've got a pair of those or two as well. (laughs) 
<laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay, so, so when are we when are we going out to wear the for our eleven o'clock martini? <laughs> Let's do it. They're yeah. like six inch platforms. It's uh, they're um, they're amazing. So where are you based? Where are you living? I live in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Okay. So Los Angeles is quite an inclusive environment. Did you grow up in Los Angeles? Uh, so I was born in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent 16 years of my life there. Then my, the soundbite is I, I then basically moved to New York to go to, high, to college when I was 16. Um, so I grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I be, and then I came out here when I was about 25, 26. And I really feel like I became an adult here in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, so I have small town, New York and LA in me. Okay, let's let's lean a little into that small town growing okay. up experience and okay. little self, little little Seth. Little Seth, <laughs> so yeah. Little Seth, he doesn't maybe yet know who he is, and he's finding out who he is. Um, can you tell me about that lived experience for you? I was always who I was and who I am. So I was very flamboyant. I mean, my mother has this amazing picture when I'm eight years old of me, like with my like my pinky out, you know, taking this picture, like the gayest picture ever, you know. And I was like, oh my god, I miss those overalls, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and my mother always knew too there was something unique about me. Um, so they just let me be whoever I wanted to be. I'm really lucky that I grew up and it was also New England. So I feel like New England is very progressive. I was the first one to come out in my high school though. And I set a trend. They So they said, or I like to set the precedent, I guess. I think um, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sexual identity isn't yeah, a no, trend. No, no, I know. I know. <laughs> I, but I can it, see how that would have been. They felt that it. Way. Yeah. 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 But no, for me, it was very real. You know, I also, I wore um, shorts on the outside of my pants and had crazy hair in high school. So, (laughs) you know. You made it safe for people. You were the representation. I I was. I really, really was. I really was. And when, when people see, like, people are like, oh yeah, like now when people come out from my high school, they're like, thank you so much for being like the first one to come out. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, it would have been so nice to have friends to come out with, you know. Yes. But I did it by myself because um, that's who I am, you know. Go you. There has to be the first crazy person to stand on that hill before others can <laughs> find them. So yes. yeah. well done on being I'm, that crazy yeah. person. <laughs> I'm, I'm nothing if not unique. I want to actually talk a little bit about the role of religion uh, okay. in sexual identity. and. Okay how that intertwines, how that affects you, how it, how it played out for you. I have been very fortunate. We didn't go to synagogue every Friday night, you know, and observe the Shabbat um, or the Shabbos. Um, so we, so I was, that's why I say culturally, you know, Jewish. Um, uh, let's, since I moved to LA, I have more Jewish friends and more kind of LGBTQ friends within the Jewish faith. And, you know, in LA, it, no one cares. Like I, I could go to any church or any synagogue and, and be completely accepted. So, mm-hmm. well, maybe let's the the more the, the less conservative ones, right? So the more progressive ones. Um, but I've never experienced any type of um for my gender identity, I haven't or or even being gay, I haven't experienced any backlash from the Jew- Jewish community, which is I rare. I think, or maybe I surround myself with the right people or the best people or my people, you know? I mean, to be honest, it's just much more fun to be gay too. 
Yeah, it's, I reckon. Yeah, it's like you're, you're the best best friends there are. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and I recommend everyone get a best a, a gay friend because yeah. we are we are, we are fun and we are we can be snarky and uh, but we always we want everyone to be happy around us, mm. you know. So true. Like, I mean, I know I'm generalizing. In your work life, have yes. you ever? F- tried to like had to mask or be something different or have you always been able to be this amazing version of Seth? Um, interesting. Like, so I've been in the HR world for 16 or 17 years. When I was 18, I spent a year of my life in Ecuador, hence why I was in Colombia. Mm-hmm. And I did have to kind of hide myself for the first four to five months I was there. I just wanted to see if it was safe or not because I knew it wasn't safe. Um, and then as I started telling more and more people, I told my family that I live with, they were all cool with it. Then I started to meet the people like the LGBTQ community and it was all underground, but I met the head of, you know, the president who was like the president of the the LGBTQ community. Um, or there was a, there was a membership association. There was an association of some sort. Yeah. Thank you. And he, and I spoke a lot about, he was working with the government on the constitution because it was the second country in the world to put that it was okay to be gay in their constitution. So I, I did hide there at the beginning. Um, but after that, I kind of swore to myself, I would never hide again. And I've been careful. Like I had a job, um, I was working for lemon growing, hence why I was in Mexico where I was almost kidnapped. Um, I was the director and in Mexico at the time, it was dangerous. It was very dangerous. And so I kind of hid myself there too, out of safety. Um, And I would tell the people that were closest to me. And then it got out to the whole company. um, And I didn't, like people looked at me strange, but I am who I am and I'm not going to be, I might tone it down a little, Mm -hmm. right? because of where I am or for safety reasons. But, you know, once people know, I'm like, this is me and I love me. And if you don't like me, that's cool. Like, I don't need you to like me. So I'm also a medium, as you pointed out, right? So that's another identity that like has been uh, something that I would not, that would be frowned upon, right? In like, because I was the head of HR, right? So like, um. So I was nervous. I was always nervous about coming out, not as a gay person. I was always nervous about coming out as a medium. Um, And now it just helps. I have a client actually that told me that because they did research on me and found out I was a medium, they didn't initially choose me because I was a medium. They didn't think that I would kind of meet everyone where they're at. Now they're working with me. They're like, we should have gone with you from the beginning. And now they understand like, oh, it's not, it's just a part of me. It doesn't define who I am from an HR perspective. So let's say someone's listening and they're like, what do you mean you didn't feel safe or out of fear of disclosing or people knowing about you being gay? Like, And they just don't think that there could be really genuine consequences for sharing. What is it that you're afraid of? What are the potential impacts of people finding out when you don't feel safe? Uh, I think being beat up or killed is okay. the number one fear that I have um, in Mexico is being beat up or killed um in egypt same thing right um they knew i was helping another uh, another man so i just said that we were best friends you know um and their best friends hold hands every once in a while so it's (laughs) under the table uh, oh yeah (laughs) so um yeah i think it's being beat up or killed you and i are both sort of 
giggling a bit and, you know, smiling while having this conversation. But this is very real. And I'm not a memorizer of statistics, but there certainly are horrendous statistics of gay assault and murder. Um, Increasingly less in countries that are becoming more inclusive, but still horrendously high and unacceptable. And then even worse in countries where it's still illegal. Um, to be yourself. Um, so I want people that are listening not to think we're making light. Um, right. It's just we're trying, you know, sometimes you either get depressed and angry or you look at it with lightness and humour. Um, so that is what we're doing today. Absolutely. Look, you said you're married. Um, yes. Which I love. Um, <laughs> so tell me about marriage equality and what that meant to you and your husband. Yeah, I cried a lot on that day in 2015. I cried a lot um, because I remember in California in 2008, we were super, I was at a gay bar. We were super excited about um, Obama being elected. And then we found out in California that that marriage equality was, or I like to call it marriage equality. Thank you for calling it that because it's not about gay marriage. It's about anyone marrying anyone else. So thank you. I appreciate that. So marriage equality was declined in the state of California. So at first, so that was rough. Um, But 2015, when that Supreme Court, like it was just pure elation. Um, It was like, wow, we finally are almost normalized in the, in, in the, in the highest court right? With the whitest of the white people and no offense to them, but that is what they are. Um, and the most conservative, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, so yeah, so, and I'm still worried to be honest. I mean, that they struck down the abortion and other, I'm just, I'm nervous now. That wasn't your question, but. No. And it was going to be my next one. Oh (laughs) yeah. But yes, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I'm terrified that it could be taken away from me. They said, or I've spoken to many attorneys that they can't take away marriage from people who've already been married, but they'll try and find a way, I'm sure. And for those listening, and and I think you explained it well, Seth, that it's, for the most part, people from the LGBTQI plus community, it wasn't about being excited to get married themselves because it, what they may not necessarily as individuals want to get married. It was about right. being seen as valid and equal to everyone else. Yes. Uh, so yes. that's what it really was more about. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So this like I'm, fear I'm not a subclass about, anymore. Yeah, not a subclass, being one of everyone else. And yes. it's, you know, this Roe versus Wade and, you know, um, this potential of now taking this away again, it's, again, not about taking away the marriage, it's about taking away equity and equality. And um, mm-hmm. anyway, we could 100%. go down the rabbit hole on that oh, one. Yeah. But let's not use that <laughs> to take away from the joy of our conversation today. Okay. Now, I do want to ask around this medium part of you. Okay. Uh, and so, the you know, whether it's spirituality or whatever, like, different you know people will look at it in different ways and in different terms and you're right it can be really frowned upon and questioned so as part of of that being part of you when did you realize that was part of you and when did you really embrace it for me I'd always had I believe that everyone is psychic and everyone is intuitive it just depends on how where you are on the spectrum right it's a spectrum and how much you practice and develop it so throughout my entire life, until I was about 30-ish, 
I used to play parlor tricks. You know, I would literally guess where people were from upon meeting them. I was like, don't tell me where you're from. Just let's have a conversation for a couple minutes and then I can tell you. And I would get down to not only the state, but sometimes like the city or area. Um, and I now I realize that was me tapping in. I call it tapping in. So tapping into their energy, right? Um, when I was in my early 30s, I broke a pattern of dating unavailable men or men who could not couldn't understand my love language and I couldn't understand theirs. And it was just very, very apparent with two relationships right in a row. And I woke up in, in both relationships and I said, I deserve better. The second time I it happened, the next day, everything opened up. The whole world opened up. It was almost as if the universe or whoever you believe in, God was like, okay, you're ready now for this gift. Or You've done abilities. your lessons. You've done, yeah. You've done the hard work. That's what now I think. Now we're going to deliver this to you. Now, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, yeah. I, I think it was all that together and it was nonstop. So at first I didn't know how to manage it at all. Um, I don't want to say control because I don't really feel like we control it, but um, I would just be out to dinner with anyone and, and, or a friend, and I would just receive all sorts of information. And for me, it started with mediumship. So, and I would say it took me about, nine months to a year to not only start coming out again, but mm -hmm. to also um, start um, sharing and doing readings and, and practicing and exploring what was going on. Because yeah. I knew, like I saw the Long Island medium and I've seen John Edwards crossing over and I had seen, I was, and I had kind of wanted that my entire life since the sixth sense um, came out, <laughs> but I never thought it would be me. So mm -hmm. it took a while. Okay. Yes. No, but, so, okay. So hang on, before we go any further, I want to know, yeah, yeah you know, this, what do you call it, data, like voices, thoughts, what, I mean, it, my understanding is all mediums receive their information differently. But how did you know you weren't crazy? How did you know it wasn't psychiatric or mental illness? Because I can imagine it would be overwhelming. So how did you know? It was very overwhelming. Um, the reason I knew is because my information was just so accurate. You know, like I remember sitting at this table and this mother, this person mentioned her mother. And I just knew immediately I got this feeling of like this beautiful gate. Uh, it was in like somewhere in California. I knew there was a pink bow on this gate. I knew that it was her favorite gate to go into the the, the place where she lived. I knew all the stuff about the like wherever she grew up and I explained it to her and she, and when I mentioned like the pink bow she's like oh my god and she started bawling blah blah so okay now <laughs> Seth you grew up in an environment where you felt safe you said you described how your parents just knew you're a little bit left of center and I allowed you to lean <laughs> into that yes um but and I guess that that's part of how it fostered your confidence and self-awareness of self. And obviously, I mean, you've already said you're quite privileged in that situation and that others yeah. aren't so fortunate. <laughs> um, what would you say to whether it's parents or communities around people that are discovering parts about themselves that aren't part of the stereotypical norm? How can they best support them? I think there's many things we can we can do um, as a community. Um I I tend to gravitate towards those types of situations. Um, I communication is number one, like talking to the individual or the family going through whatever they're going through, um, being of service to the family, like supporting in any way, shape, or form, and I think offering a safe space for that family or for that 
community or for that um, individual going through whatever they're going through. I think connection, making connections, because people people can feel so alone and communication is just so important with whether it's a four-year-old, five-year-old, 10-year-old, 16-year-old, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Or 32-year-old or 52-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, it doesn't matter your age. Okay. So let's say you came into my organization and you were doing an HR project. I don't know, right? Yeah. But let's say you came into my organization. How do you know or what can I do to make sure you feel completely safe to be completely authentic in your whole self? I mean, like, I think that you have to authentically say to someone, this is a safe space. I want you to be whoever you want. Like, it has to be, there has to be curiosity. There has to be exploration. There has to be beauty and there has to be gratitude in that, in all that space. So, because people can say that this is a safe space, but like, they don't actually mean it. So I think when you say uh, it's, it's, I think it's in your demeanor and your spirit and your intention. Cause I could literally be like, oh, this is a safe space, you know, or I can be like, I love this space. This space is everything to me. And I'm, I'm going to be authentic and vulnerable with you. And please like know that this is a safe space. Like there's a very different energy around both of those. Now that taps right into me, but there there are people that are way more cognitive in their thinking and you know right up here in cerebral thinking going well, I don't know what energy means I don't know what it you know how do I do that so if you had three behaviors or actions that people could actually do to make people like you feel welcomed and belong I think number one is connect with them find a connection point yep whether that's the Raiders, whether that's the Red Sox, whether that, you know, it could be that, or it could be a favorite movie or it could be a genre of movies or, or, um, a yoga style or a workout style, find a connection. Number two is lead by example. And then number three is practice what you preach, walk, what you walk, what you walk, talk, what you talk, walk, what you walk. Seth, tell me what is it that you're doing in the world now to bring your magic and make a difference? Well, I have a children's book coming out. Uh, it is Scout in the Series Split. It's the second in a series called the Adventure, the Smile Adventure series. Um, all of the books will have an LGBTQIA component, as well as tackle a taboo, or as I like to call them, a yummy topic. Um, so the first was about the, the the pandemic. This one is about two women getting divorced. The next one is going to be about a transgender child. The following one will be about you know someone dying or passing away in the family. So everything focuses on how a family navigates through a tough and challenging time. Those are like the books, right? I'm also doing speaking engagements. Uh, I, I'm having a TED talk come up at some point. And then I do, I have um, I have some courses that I do. I help people become bestsellers. So write their books fast and become bestsellers. Mm-hmm. Then, um, and by coaching, I call it intuitive business coaching because I've been in corporate America for 20 something years. So I can speak the woo if I need to speak the woo, but I can speak pragmatically as well. So, and I've learned that to all sides of my brain. So I help executives essentially overcome grief. Like that's really what I do. Um, there's more coming to retreats coming and, but um, it's a lot. I want to go on a retreat with you. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I, someone recently called me an invitation. Like my whole personality is about an invitation. And I, I I want that to be, that's what I want to do. Like it brought me to tears. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to be the invitation for people to be who they are and tell me what they want and open up. Can you see my tears? You made, me, you made 
I think that to be described as an invitation, oh, yes. ultimate compliment. Totally. I have goosebumps. Yeah. Well, perfect resonance then. <sighs> I think we could talk for hours and hours. <laughs> um, and I think I may hopefully have made a new best friend in LA. So yes. um, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for your time today, Seth. What we're going to do is put all of your contact details, links to your book and all those kinds of things in the podcast description. So if anyone wants to get in contact or Great. get those books, um, we'll be there for them. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me today. No, thank you for your time. <laughs>